and welcome to the Partner Connection. This is Dell Technologies Partner Program Podcast, and I'm Cheryl Cook. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Larry Walsh, who's CEO and Chief Analyst of Channelnomics. So hi, Larry. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Hey, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. Great, great. I know many of the partners are familiar with you and a lot of your writings, but for those who might not be, tell us about Channelomics and how long you've been in business. And I know you've been an advocate and working with the channel for many years. So Channelomics, we are in the business of helping other businesses in the channel do better. We've worked primarily with vendors, but we also do a lot of work on behalf of vendors to support partners through our custom and our internal research programs, our consulting services, and our content services. So we've been doing this, Cheryl, since, I don't know, my hair was a different color back then. But (laughs) um, we started out in 2010 after I tried to build something that looked like Channelnomics at my previous employer. It didn't quite work out well because they were conflicting business models and visions. But we set out because we thought that the technology is one thing, but understanding how to get technology to market better was the secret ingredient that everybody needed. And that's why we do what we do. Well, fantastic. And I know that we lean on you quite a bit sometimes to make sure we're thinking about things as appropriately as we can. But you just recently published a nice article about the lessons of 2022. And inarguably, we've all come out the other side of this crazy pandemic window, and we've all learned a lot. But the partner community and the partner ecosystem is changing, adapting, evolving at a rate like it's never done before. So talk a little bit about your observations and insights around that piece, the 10 lessons that you think it taught in 2022 for our listeners. What's the highlights? Well, you know, I think the real genesis of that was that every time around December and January, people start publishing their predictions. And I am loath to make predictions because they're either things that are already in progress that everybody really already knows about, or they're wild guesses to get attention. The real thing we need to do is make sure that we haven't forgotten things that we've already experienced. And that's what the point of the 10 lessons was, is to let's make sure that we have this locked down. I mean, there are some things in here that I believe that we all need to recognize, particularly as we're going through, and I'm going to qualify this by saying economic uncertainty. And I'm going to say that I'm going to give that a new definition as we continue this conversation. But there's certain things that we know to be true because they were already happening in the last year, last 12 to 18 months. Ecosystems are real, but they're highly flawed and highly misunderstood. And the word is being tortured across the industry. Cloud and services aren't recession-proof. We have evidence of this. We're seeing a lot of pressure on cloud companies and a lot of pressure on managed service providers that we hadn't seen before, or at least we haven't seen in a while. And there's also a lot of pressure to what we call conserve and optimize. And again, all this comes back to what we've learned over the last 12 to 18 months is that the technology industry has been playing a hot hand through the pandemic. And a lot of the industry has done very well because of our ability to adapt quickly and also rework virtually. But that's doesn't mean that the good times are going to keep on rolling. 
And so that's the real lesson that came out of 2022 is that we have to be looking for opportunities. We have to be acting smartly, but we can't assume that just because something worked, it's going to continue to work in perpetuity. Well, that's awesome. So share a little bit more about this concept of conservation and optimism. What does that imply? Optimization, rather. Right. So one of the things that we started seeing towards the end of 2022 was managed service providers. And I have to say, managed service providers are the dominant partner type in the channel today, at least in mature markets like the U.S., Canada, and most of Western Northern Europe. These guys started facing some significant headwinds over the summer and going into the end of the year. Inflation was causing the cost of operations to increase. Labor costs were increasing while the talent pool was not loosening up. One of the big contradictions of our current economy is that even though we've seen a lot of downward economic indicators, unemployment isn't one of them, which means talent is still scarce. So what did they start doing? They started first consolidating the vendors that they were working with in their technology stacks. They were re-engineering their processes to make them more efficient so that they could move faster. And they started sacrificing profitability in favor of maintaining their operational capacity. In other words, they didn't want to lose their people. And we saw this when we started looking at other businesses across the industry, as well as other businesses in the general economy. We started seeing the same thing, that particularly the mid-market SMBs, that they, which are typically the first to feel the pinch of an economic downturn, they were taking some extraordinary measures to maintain their operational viability and their ability to operate through conservation of resources. But conservation of resources doesn't get you far. That's only survival mode. So what's the other side of this? Well, that's optimization. And optimization is the other thing that we're seeing which is businesses both in the channel as well as their customers are investing more in digital transformation. They're investing more in optimizing their operations and their processes, partly for cost savings, but the other is to make sure that they can still enter into new markets and maintain their viability and also build their competitiveness. And so there's these two seemingly sometimes contradictory, but they really are complementary forces conservation and optimization are really preserving what you have today and making yourself prepared for tomorrow. And this is also the reason I have to say, has at an event recently where the president of IDC was speaking and presenting their data. I'm sitting there in the audience taking notes going, it's good to see we're saying the same thing because IDC and Gartner both say IT spending will increase between 5 and 5.3% in 2023. And even if they say, even if the general economy, the floor falls from underneath the general economy, IT spending will still increase about 3%. That's the resiliency of that optimization movement. You know, I think Michael Dell sometimes says, the world needs more technology, not less. And we believe similarly that in good economic times and in more uncertain economic times, for either expansion or, as you're saying, conservatism or efficiency gains, you need to automate, right? You got to modernize your technology, which can certainly create an opportunity for our partners. But, you know, you've got a, a really comprehensive and fascinating view across what this uncertain economic picture looks like. And to your point, some of the 
contradictions in the data? What piece of advice might you have to offer partners as they navigate this next business cycle? And you hear people sometimes refer to, is this a U recovery or a V recovery? Or we're certainly kind of in a little tumultuous territory. What should partners keep front of mind to ensure that they stay healthy and viable as they navigate this? Yeah. So first, I want to say I couldn't agree more with Michael Dell, is that technology is the catalyst for all progress. And it has been since the invention of the wheel, but more so today than ever. And one of the things that businesses need is more automation because and I say this kind of euphemistically, but it's true. We're not making babies anymore. And that's a problem. The Generation Z, which has now become the largest portion of the workforce, believe it or not, so the kids who were born in the late 90s, they're now in the workforce and they make up the greatest percentage of workers. But it is also the smallest working generation in modern times. And there are just not enough people. The United States is on the precipice of negative birth rate or declining population. Germany, Italy, Spain, Japan are all in negative birth rates. So they are all seeing population declines. And the reason why businesses are spending on automation is because they need to do more with fewer people. This isn't about wages anymore. This is just purely about bodies. And I think for partners to be smart about things is, again, first, optimize your shops. Focusing on conserving what you have, making sure that you have strong core endemic value. And when I say that, value propositions based around things that you can do really well. Focus in on the customer experience. And increasingly, customer experience is the metric by which the customers are evaluating or assessing the true value or that their ROI with you. It's not about money saved. It's about what you're doing to make their businesses better. And in doing so, focus in on delivering true systems, true integrated solutions that solve real-world problems. This means actually applying some imagination to when you approach customers or groups of like customers to understand what their challenges are and create things that will actually have a creative value to their businesses so that they will be able to move faster, move further to generate revenue more efficiently. And in doing so, you will create customers with higher lifetime values. I think that's fascinating. And you know, one trend we're seeing, and I think what you're just stating really contributes to this is increasingly we're seeing partner and partner engagement on customer deployments or projects, right? You got multiple partners working with each other What's your view or thought on whether it's the talent pool, whether it's the pace of change? Is some of what you just outlined, you think, contributing and kind of enabling a little bit of what we're experiencing, multiple partners, because none of us can do it alone? Well, that's what I mean by ecosystem being a tortured word. In fact, Cheryl, you and I were at an event last fall where somebody and a younger person, and again, that's anybody under 50 to me. <laughs> it's um, a big group for us, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a little painful <laughs> to say that, but yeah. Um, but a younger person came up to me and said, you know, uh, ecosystems are new and hot and channels are old. And I looked at them and I said, that's a really creative way of calling me old kid. 
Um, <laughs> the reason why I say ecosystems is a tortured word is because we've always operated in ecosystems. I, I mean, Dell is a great example mm -hmm. of this, is that Dell has created an ecosystem onto itself with all of its complementary technologies and product groups, but it also operates across a spectrum of complementary software and cloud companies that you support. And then also another layer, which is far broader, of resellers and integrators and service providers that are able to take your technologies and add even more value onto it. So this entire notion that we are entering an age of ecosystems is, to me, is kind of ridiculous because we've always been here. I will say that the difference is, is intent in that as we start to move forward and as the customer dynamics become more complex and the expectations become higher, the partners are going to need to anticipate more than react that they're going to need to be able to understand customer needs and create their own reference architectures so that they can be able to stand ready to not only solve customer problems when they're presented, but also help inform customers of problems that they may not know that they have or opportunities to do better that they may not be aware of. And we see this in large and small measures today, but it really is, it's going to become core to the things that everyone is and should be doing over the next three to five years. Absolutely. So one closing concept I'd love your thoughts and perspective on, and obviously myself being in partner marketing, we've been obsessed with customer and partner experience, right? Because it's no longer just the transaction. It's the partnership. Like what is the end to end experience? And we believe in Dell that that's going to continue to come more front and center and important. And we also see this really advancing trend of a desire to self-serve or transact online and what have you. So we're spending considerable energy in the company on ensuring that overall experience is a favorable, seamless, simple, digital experience. And just recently, we had Jeff Clark, who's our vice chairman and chief operating officer, posted a blog around his top predictions. What's your thoughts and, and what's your view? Because you deal with both the vendor community, with companies like Dell, as well as partners. What's your perspective on overall partner customer experience? As I said earlier, customer experience is becoming paramount. It's largely driven by some of the same issues that you're describing as well, that desire for self-service. And also as more, let's call this generational rather than young people, but as the younger generation become more vocal or have more voice in the procurement process, they want to have, and I hate using words like this in this context, delightful experience. Mm -hmm. But let's separate the two issues quickly, is that first there's the partner experience, and then there's the customer experience. And one of the mistakes that's been made and continues to be made by the vendor class is that they treat the two as separate. So you hear them talk about things like, what's the precursor to the customer experience? Well, it's the customer journey. The same thing with the partner. There's the partner journey. And they treat them as two independent streams. And they're not. They're interconnected. And one has an influence over the other. The partner journey and the partner experience has a direct and corollary influence and impact on the customer journey. 
And so we have to make sure that both of them are delightful. And not just delightful, but we are also talking about multi-threaded channels because the customer will choose to buy from one channel in one motion and a different type of channel in another. And I'll give you an example. So if it is purely a commoditized transactional product sale or a purchase, you know, I need, and no disrespect to you as a maker of notebooks and laptops, but if I just need five laptops, I can go onto a marketplace and get that and order it. And I can probably order a few of the applications I need in the process. It's a very simple transaction. But if I'm building a new infrastructure or I want to re-engineer my digital work environment, then that's a higher touch engagement. And we need to be able to have the strategies, the resources, and the infrastructure in place to support that self-service model, to support that high touch model, and to support the models where they overlap. And there's ample amount of opportunity for that. But the thread that goes through it is that each one of them has to have a superior partner and a customer experience in order to effectuate that higher value outcome. Well, I think absolutely. And I think it's going to be table stakes going forward. So again, Larry, appreciate all your insights and your thoughtfulness and your counsel both for me and Dell and others. So now before we wrap things up and we get into summarize, I always like to have a little fun. So I always throw a little curveball here at the end and we'd like you to share a fun fact about yourself that we wouldn't know. Might not be on your resume, is not in your bio, not gonna be on your website. What's a fun fact about Larry? Oh, you know, I am so transparent and, you know, I'm a storyteller by nature. So whenever somebody asks me that, tell me something that nobody knows about you. Okay, first, I'm not going to tell you that thing. But, (laughs) you know, there's, there's, I feel like I I don't have any real hidden stories. So one thing that is not widely known about me, or maybe it would be surprising anybody who's ever met me in person because I'm not a hulking man. I'm just an average guy. But my first real job was working on lobster boats. Oh. And so in back before people cared about child labor laws, I was 13 years old working on lobster boats off the coast of Massachusetts. And oh. uh, I did that. I did that for a couple of seasons. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you, my father is from Massachusetts. His favorite thing for any celebration or family gathering is a good old fashioned lobster boil. So I've had many. (laughs) So thank you to you and your fellow lobster fishermen. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, okay, well, here's the other thing people often people often ask. It's like, so you're from Boston and you don't eat seafood. I said, yes. And that's the reason why. Well, Larry, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your continued advocacy of the partners and your counsel. And we appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thanks, Cheryl. Well, Larry, thanks again for taking the time and joining us today. I know our listeners are going to be thrilled to listen to you. And I hope everyone's enjoying the podcast. So please subscribe and give us your feedback. And be sure to tune in the next couple of weeks for our next episode of the Partner Connection. Until then, I hope everybody stays safe and be well.